Well, thank you for giving me this opportunity to come back to uh, St. Paul and, and share the Word of God with all of you. It's, uh, greetings, greetings from the world's largest hamlet, Sherwood Park, Alberta. Great drive out this morning. Sun blinded me for the first half hour, but I managed to keep it on the road straight. Do you ever just stop and, in your day and, and thank God for his word? Do you ever do that? Just thank you, Lord, for your word. We are so blessed to have in our hands, at our fingertips, the very words of God to humankind. Everything we know about God, even the fact that we know God through creation, we find out through the word, through his revealed word. Uh, I, was, uh, I was coming out here today, and I, I don't know how many of you might use the devotional with Nicky Gumbel through the Bible in one year, but I, I'm using that this year. And, and this morning he was given an, giving an illustration uh, of when pre, in communist times in Russia, how he went with a number of others to Russia, and, and he managed to smuggle some Bibles in. And, and of course the churches were infiltrated with, uh, with informants and so forth during that era. And so it was taking a huge risk. But he said, uh, he, he watched, and at the end of one of the services, he saw one man just leave and go down the street by himself, and he thought, I'm going to take the opportunity. And so he, he went up behind him and caught up to him and tapped him on the shoulder. And uh, he didn't speak any Russian, the guy didn't speak any English, but he took the Bible out of his pocket and he handed it to this man. And this man, in turn, took this New Testament out of his pocket. It was frayed and ripped and torn and dirty and used and used over and over again. And he gave the man the Bible. And he said the man began to jump and leap and praise God and run back and forth up and down the street because he'd been given the greatest gift that anyone could ever be given. Sometimes I feel ashamed when I hear stories like that because I got the Bible in just about every translation and my shelves are home, and sometimes I don't honor it the way I should. Well, that's not what I'm speaking about today, but I don't want to waste any more time before looking into the Word this morning. Pastor Duane, I wonder if you'd just bring my water to me, please. I Thank you so much. Let's see what the Holy Spirit wishes to say to us through my attempts this morning at sharing his word. Let's pray. I'm your servant, Lord, and you granted me this opportunity today, and I don't take the responsibility lightly. And I realize that my own words mean very little, so I come to you and say, Holy Spirit, would you please use me as an instrument this morning to deliver your truth to your people? I ask for nothing more, and I ask for nothing else. May you be glorified today, Lord. And may your people be edified and strengthened. Anoint my words, O oh God, and open up our hearts to receive them in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'd like to share with you some thoughts that the Holy Spirit's been filtering through my spirit over the last days and weeks. I've been challenged by the Word of God to carefully examine my life and, and to refocus my life on those things that really matter. Because there's a whole lot of things we're focusing on that don't matter. They don't, they don't amount to a hill of beans. 
So uh, I want to turn to uh, 2 Corinthians 1, and I'm going to be reading verse 15 and 16 out of that chapter, and that's where we'll center our thoughts today. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1, 15 and 16, and it says this, For we are the aroma of Christ. Would you say that with me? For we are the aroma of of Christ, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance of death to death, to the other a fragrance of life to life, and who is sufficient for these things? Aroma. Aroma. I grew up in a, in a little Saskatchewan farming community, and uh, I know that I look like a sophisticated city slicker, but, you know, I know how to open barbed wire gates. I do. I, I actually know how to milk a goat. I had to do that for a lot of years. I know how to uh, cut hay with a scythe. I know anybody under uh, 45 years of age in the audience today probably don't know, doesn't know what a scythe is, but I know how to cut hay. With, I know, actually know how to harvest grain with a threshing machine, never mind combine, never mind air conditioning, all that kind of stuff. So I, I grew up in the country. And uh, many of my memories are very strongly attached to, uh, uh, to country smells. I don't know if you could relate or not, but I want to give you one example. In the autumn, during the harvest, in the evening, when the dew settles on the grain straw uh, that's being harvested, there's this pungent, musky aroma that fills the air. You know what I'm talking about? Well, some, some, are you there? Yeah? Uh, are you online? Uh, because I travel a lot, or did before COVID, I have the opportunity to encounter that quite often every year. And unfailingly, 70 years after I first saw the light of day, when I smell that aroma, it brings back a flood of melancholy, nostalgic feelings. Why is that? Well, my parents were very old when I was born, and uh, one year when I was in about grade five, uh, I was walking down the country hill uh, towards, actually, I didn't go uphill both ways to school. Coming home was downhill. And uh, so I, I came home towards my home that day in the autumn, and that smell was in the air, very heavy. And my elderly parents were working in the little garden that we had, and I could see them there. And, and suddenly I realized that soon and very soon, as idyllic as this moment was, everything was going to change. They'd be gone. Uh, I would be on my own. My own little enclave of childhood innocence would be no more. And so whenever I catch that smell in the air, I'm saddened for a bit for what is no more. Aroma is a powerful thing that brings back with it strong associations. To tell you how strong they are, I mean, uh, it's 49 years ago yesterday since my mom went home to be with Jesus. And so still that smell has power to influence and affect me. Some permeating smells are nostalgic for a different reason. As a kid, I went to a little Anglican church, and about a third of the congregation were elderly Slavic immigrants. And it was the job of a few of us kids to light the old stove at the back of the church 
uh, in the cold winter days and to keep it stoked during the service so that no one would freeze to death while the service was in progress. And uh, these precious old folks would arrive and they'd take their places. And uh, as the room became warmer and warmer, they would begin to sweat. But it wasn't an ordinary sweat. Now, I told you older Slavic immigrant people beginning to sweat in a group. What kind of sweat could you imagine that it might be? Anybody have an idea? Well, it was garlic sweat. Because garlic was a staple in their entire diet. It was part of every meal, warded off evil spirits and everything. And they put it in every dish they cooked, and it came out of their pores. Uh, in an old wood heater, you couldn't turn the thermostat down. And so we were stuck with the smell. A, a, a not unpleasant, but not altogether pleasant aroma either that comes to me as a memory. There was a man who attended our church in Lethbridge when we started out in our ministry and pastored there years ago. And he worked in an auto wrecking yard. And I'm sure he must have showered in diesel fuel before he came to church. Because you always knew when Brother Leonard arrived at church because he smelled like a D8 cat. The Roman church in the early 4th century picked up this leftover Hebraic tradition from before Christ because they began to comprehend the power of aroma. They started to burn incense at the Eucharist or at the communion table. It symbolized prayers that were rising to God. So when the congregation came into the Mass and they smelled the incense at the table of Eucharist, they were supposed to be able to associate this smell with prayer. Now, the practice has lost its meaning over the centuries, but the symbol of prayers rising to God as an incense is a very scriptural thing. So what in the world are you trying to say, Pastor L? Well, this is the thesis of my message today. Our life will smell like we, uh, what we are soaked in, like what we ingest, or what we perpetually hang around. That's how our life's going to smell. In our text, Paul uses this powerful imagery of an aroma in reference to our relationship with Christ. We are the aroma of Christ. But what is the aroma of Christ? And how do we know if we're actually giving off that aroma? Now, let me warn you that this is probably one of the simplest messages you'll hear for some time. I thought that the older that I got, the more complicated and deep theologically my sermons would be, but it's not turning out that way. I think the simpler I'm becoming... It's simple, but it's also one of the most important messages I could ever preach to the church. Not because I'm sharing it, but because these truths are the fundamental building blocks of genuine Christian life and behavior. They're not my opinion. They're not my own interpretation of Scripture. They are directly verbatim from the living Word of God. And if we believe that the Bible is the Word of God then we have to reckon with them. I first of all want to tell you 
uh, what the aroma of Christ is not. And I'm saddened to have to say this. And also what happens in the world around us when those who claim to follow Christ are giving off a cheap substitute of that aroma. I traveled a lot in the mid-2000s, and I went through Heathrow Airport uh, repeatedly. And in the concourse of that huge terminal, there are perhaps a dozen or more perfume shops. And they sell fragrances that cost as much per bottle as my entire missions trip would cost. But if you buy them, you're getting the real deal. You're getting the real deal, probably right straight from Paris. These are not the fragrances that you buy for $3 at Dollarama. Those are false knockoffs. Those are pretending to be what they are not. And if one wears that stuff repeatedly, it's going to become obnoxious. It's not winsome. It's not attractive. It's not genuine. So there's a lot of Christian rhetoric and a lot of Christian behavior out there right now that's giving off Dollarama smell. And it's not pleasing to God and it's not pleasing to others. And the watching world is actually repulsed by it. It doesn't represent the character of Christ. It doesn't smell like Jesus at all. It smells like anger and judgment and entitlement and selfishness. And it pushes people farther away from Jesus. It doesn't draw them closer. And I read the posts on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram from people who say they are Christ followers, and I think this is not the fragrance of Jesus. This is not how Jesus smells. So what is the aroma of Christ? What is the aroma of Christ? When we can identify that, we also get a glimpse into the character of God himself. Since Jesus came to earth to reveal the essence of God's character to the world, it started in a lowly cattle barn, started in a nondescript village, it continued through his three and a half years of merciful ministry, it went to the cross, it cried out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It, it, it culminated, like we sang a little earlier, in this glorious resurrection, in triumph over sin and hell in the grave. Hallelujah. And in Hebrews 13, or Hebrews 1, pardon me, verse 3, it says this, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature. Let me say that again. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression, the exact expression of God's nature. The aroma that came off of the Lord Jesus Christ mirrored the Father heart of God. Another word for fragrance is essence. Jesus is the very essence of God. The essence of something is the very thing of which it is made. Now one day... If we know Jesus is our Savior and Lord, we'll walk with him <clears throat> right into the Garden of Heaven, and we'll smell the aroma that I'm going to talk about today. But before we get there, we need to know that Jesus brought that aroma with him, and he left it with the church. And when we walk in relationship with him, we have the incredible privilege and the incredible responsibility of carrying that same aroma with us and diffusing it from our life. Three things I want to look at today. I told you they were going to be simple. 
three things that radiated from Jesus, three things that revealed the essence of God, the Father, and these three things capture the expected behavior of people who say they've placed their faith in Jesus and they're following him with all of their heart. Number one, God is love. God is love. 1 John 4, 16, God is love. He's not just loving, not just lovable, not just lovely, but God is love. It's not an adjective describing God, it's a noun. The very stuff of which God is made, the fragrance that rises from the very nature and character of God is love. He is love. What kind of love is that? Well, it's undeserved love. God's agape love comes despite the fact that we who receive it are totally unworthy of it. We're totally unworthy of it. We're not entitled to it. And in the middle of our sin and unloveliness, God loves us because he's love. It's unearned. God's agape love comes at a high price, which he himself paid on the cross in order that he could offer it to us as a free gift. Nothing you can do to buy it. For a good man, some would dare to die, but, but God commended his love. God demonstrated his love towards us while we were still sinners. He died for us, rose again on our behalf. It's undeserved, it's unearned, it's unconditional. And, and this is amazing because we need to hear this in our day and age. God's agape love comes whether or not we receive it. One of my favorite stories is out of the Gospel of Mark. And it's the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and asked Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And uh, Jesus, knowing that this young man was very wealthy and that he'd placed his, his confidence and his trust in his riches, he said to him, uh, well, you have to love the Lord your God and, and you have to look after other people and so forth. And the young man said, well, I've done that. I've done. And then Jesus said, well, one thing you're lacking Leave that which you have behind you, all your material stuff, and follow me. And I think you know the story. Uh, the young man rejected Jesus. He walked away from Jesus. He walked away from the very offer of salvation, from the very Jesus who would provide it. Can you imagine that? The rejection. You know, uh, sometimes we feel rejected when the pastor doesn't say hello to us on Sunday morning. Well, he, he, he's rejecting the offer of salvation from Jesus himself. Can you imagine that? Mark chapter 10, 21. And I love, I love Mark. I love John Mark's writing because he notices details. All kinds of little details. And, and this is what he says. Mark 10, 21. He says, but Jesus looking at this young man loved him. Jesus knew he was going to reject him. Jesus knew he was going to walk away from him. Didn't matter. Because the love of God is unconditional. And it was so obvious and so evident to the disciples that were with Jesus that day that they wrote it in Holy Scripture for all eternity. God is love. And Jesus was the perfect representation of that love. That's the fragrance, that's the aroma that came off of Jesus. And that's the aroma that you and I are to replicate from our lives as well. Owe no man nothing, the Bible says. Owe nobody anything, Paul says in Romans, except to love them. 
except to love them. Might be unearned, might be undeserved, but it needs to be unconditional. That's the aroma of Christ. That's the aroma of Christ. God is love. That verse says, and whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in them. The aroma of Christ. We are the aroma of Christ. Secondly, God is light. 1 John, 5, 1 John 1, 5. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. We're told that at the throne room of God in heaven, there's no need for the sun. There's no need for the stars. Because the Lamb of God is the light. The Lamb of God is... Can you imagine the brilliance? No star, no sun, just the Lamb. God is light. John tells us that in Jesus there was life and that life was the light of man. And it lights up every person that comes into the world. Jesus himself declared, I am the light of the world. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, the prophet Isaiah said. Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, proclaimed when he got his voice back, he proclaimed, the day spring from on high, the light, the great light from on high has visited us to shine on people who live in darkness. Listen to me carefully now. Jesus did not come into the world to curse the darkness. Don't waste your time cursing the darkness. Jesus came into the world to to dispel the darkness. And how do you dispel darkness? The very presence of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who is the light, dispels darkness. The presence of God dispels darkness. We carry the light. When Jesus went back, or before he went back to the Father, he said to his disciples, I'm the light of the world. I'm going back to the Father. Now I got something to tell you. You're the light of the world. Now, we're not the light of the world. We did not die for the world. We did not rise again for the world. But Jesus, the living Christ, the Lamb of God, who is the light, lives inside of us and is to shine from us. He said, don't put a bushel over that. Don't hide that. Be like a city on the hill that shines bright. Wherever Jesus went, darkness flees. Wherever Jesus goes, darkness flees. He never wasted a breath blasting the Roman government or decrying the horrific sins of the culture that he lived in. Never wasted his time doing that. He just shone the light. When there was a blind man, he healed him. There was a deaf man, he healed him. Just shone the light. Gave the principles of the kingdom to, his, to the people that were listening to him. Blessed is the man who does this. Blessed is the man who does Blessed is, that's what Jesus did. And wherever he went, light dispelled darkness. Folks, I, I'm not the light of anything in and of myself. But hopefully, with Christ in me and flowing from me, I can offer light to a dark world. That the aroma coming off of my life is the light of Christ. The love of Christ, the light of Christ. Number three, God is life. God is life. John 4, 24, it's a story of the woman at the well where Jesus meets meets her at the well at Sychar and they have this theological debate. And in the process of that debate in uh, 
John 4, 24, Jesus says to the woman, um, God is spirit. And the word that is used there is a word pneuma. And pneuma is a Greek word that means life breath, life breath, or spirit. To a people that were dead in their trespasses and sins, Jesus brought resurrection life. This wasn't a reformation uh, of, of uh, their behavior, uh, some sort of a modification uh, program. It was a transformation. It was a new birth. It was a death and a resurrection. Like the dry bones we sang about in the vision of Ezekiel, that which was totally dead was miraculously brought back to life as the life breath of God moved upon it. And if you're here today and you're saved, you know Jesus as your Savior, I want to tell you it's not because you chose to change your life. Your choice was to follow Christ and open the door to a miracle. And that which was spiritually dead came to life by the power of God working in you. And you were, as Scripture says, maybe not popular today, but it says it anyway, you were born again. You became a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. You became a citizen of a brand new kingdom. Now listen to us. Every one of us. The Spirit indwells if we know Jesus. And if we surrender our lives to Jesus, that life breath that spirit dwells in us. And we are caused to dispense, we're called to dispense and disperse that spirit from our lives wherever we go. Love, light, and life. The aroma of Christ. And Paul says in our text this morning, if we claim to be his disciples, it will be the aroma of our life as well. Unless we're playing at Christianity, and it's all words and no substance, we should be seeking to be surrounded by and infused by and steeped in the fragrance of Christ so that it naturally oozes out of us. Any lesser pursuit is below us as believers. Sorry to be so forthright this morning and and, and I'm not specifically addressing Bethel when I, when I say this, but, but, but the public testimony of the church has been less than stellar in the last couple of years. really has. Very little of the fragrance of love, light, and life. It, it's been more about action and reaction and argument and opinion. And, and, and somehow in the middle of that, the aroma of Jesus is lost. That saddens me. I've had to set boundaries around my own emotions. Uh, as I live and as I respond to the stuff that's happening around me, I have to ask the question of myself every day, would Jesus say that? Would Jesus say that? Would Jesus write that? Would Jesus do that? And if the answer is no, and I proceed to do it, that's disobedience. 
And disobedience, the Bible says, is like the sin of witchcraft. See, no, no wonder in our passage today, uh, the last part of that verse says, Paul asks the question, who is sufficient for this? Like, who can do this? We're the aroma of Christ. Who can do this? Well, Paul goes on to uh, record these rather unusual words. And uh, I want to look at them for a few moments. He, he says we're the aroma of, of death unto death. What's that supposed to mean? Well, it's a relatively simple principle uh, explained in the tr life of a true disciple. See, Paul died to his own will. Paul, Paul died to his own preferences. Paul died to his own flesh. Uh, Paul died to his own selfish desires. Paul died to his own opinions. He actually stated, I, I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, nevertheless, I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. It's interesting, uh, Raymond Reba, he was a, a dear pastor in our district. He pastored Southside Pentecostal for many years. Went home to be with Jesus a few years ago. But he used to say this, and it, it, got, me, it got me thinking. got me thinking deep about my own life. This is what he said, very simply. He goes, dead men have no rights. Dead men have no rights. I have been crucified with Christ. The only right I have is to allow the aroma of Jesus Christ to flow from my life. That's my right. That's my privilege. That's my responsibility. I could share many examples of this, but I, I, I want to just give you one or two. Dear pastor, friend of mine, uh, was vacationing for a couple of weeks last summer at a remote cabin on the shore of one of our Alberta lakes. And, and he and his wife were there just to enjoy each other's company and to bask in God's refreshing presence. He said we had such a wonderful time. And then uh, they went to uh, Banff for a couple of days. And uh, one day they were riding the gondola up uh, uh, Sulphur Mountain, and they, they, they met a lady that was, uh, and she was with some family members, and, and they chatted for a few moments. I guess they were riding the cable car up together, and, and uh, then they decided, well, we're going to walk back down the path instead of taking the gondola. And so they walked down, and about halfway, apparently, there's a rest stop. I, I've never been brave enough to do that, so I don't know. But about halfway down, I guess, there's a rest stop. And they stopped there, and, and, and it was like the Spirit of the Lord spoke to my friend and said, just wait here, because that woman's going to be coming. And sure enough, about 10 minutes went by, and the woman came with her family members. And uh, my friend approached her and said, you might find this really strange, but I believe that the Lord wants you to know that you'll never be alone, that he's with you, he loves you so much, and he hasn't abandoned you. And she agreed, uh, and, and, and she agreed, and, and, uh, and, and she began to weep. And he said, will you allow me to pray with you? And so he, he, he began to pray, and, and as he began to pray, the entire family began to weep. So everybody was weeping, as well as him. He didn't even know why he was weeping. And when he was finished, she said, you know, I was disconsolate. I was in, in deep despair. You see, my husband passed away just two weeks ago, and I felt so alone and so abandoned. And my family insisted 
that I would come with them today for this little outing to try to bring me some relief in the middle of my suffering. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I guess my buddy Gil was carrying around the aroma of Jesus that day. Let me tell you one that's a little closer to home for me. In 2012, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. It had metastasized into lymph glands. She required surgery to begin with, and they took lymph glands from underneath her arm. And following that radical surgery, she was referred to a uh, physiotherapist at the Cross Cancer Hospital to begin exercises to keep her shoulder from freezing. So she attended the first session, about 20 minutes, gave her some exercises, and, and scheduled her to return the next day. Physiotherapist was a young lady about 35 years of age. And the second appointment she went to, she walked through the door. One week later, this young lady therapist looked at her and said, Mrs. Downey, I don't understand you. And Yvonne was a little taken back, and she says, what do you mean you don't understand me? She replied, she said, I work with cancer patients every day. And some come to me and they're filled with anger. Others are filled with a lot of fear. Still others are suffering from depression. But Yvonne, when you walk through the door of my office, peace walks in. What's that all about? So uh, for about the next 20 minutes, uh, Yvonne... Uh, had the opportunity to tell her what that peace is all about, the peace that passes understanding when the Prince of Peace lives inside of you. I guess Yvonne was carrying the aroma of Jesus that day. Uh, interesting thing is she never had to go back for any more physiotherapy. That was a one-off. If we make a claim that we're followers of Jesus, we immediately set ourselves up to be his representatives whether we want to or not. And we'll either represent him or we'll misrepresent him. Either way, we will have given unbelievers the right to watch, the right to judge, the right to measure the Christ we say we serve by the way we behave. From the aroma that comes off of our life, they'll, they'll develop their own understanding of God. From the aroma that comes off our life, they'll understand Christ as we represent him. Wow. That's a huge challenge, isn't it? Who is sufficient for this, Paul says? Who is sufficient for this? But the good news is this. The Holy Spirit was sent by the Father at the request of Jesus to help us represent Jesus well. <laughs> Hallelujah. You see, we don't have to strive to do this on our own. Thank God. Thank God. We just have to choose to do it and then humbly allow his spirit to lead us and guide us along the trail. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh will have their minds set on what are the fleshly desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit 
desires. What does the Spirit desire? Well, one of the things we're told about the Spirit is that he came to testify of Christ. So as the Spirit leads and guides and directs our life, he can do through us and in us what we can't do ourselves. He can testify of Christ through our life, through the aroma that comes off our life, the aroma of love and light and life. Boy, does the world need that, eh? Here's more good news. We have the map. Hallelujah. We we have the map that's given to us directly from the heart of God. Uh, through people that were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it down. Uh, Your word, Psalm 119, go home and read that and and see how that leaves you. Uh, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's verse 105. Verse 25 of that chapter, give me life according to your word. Uh, Verse 28, strengthen me according to your word. Uh, Verse 169, give me understanding according to your word. Verse 170, deliver me according to your word. Can I be right up front and personal here this morning? There's no way, there's absolutely no way that you and I can represent Jesus Christ accurately in love and light and life unless we're led by the Spirit and unless we're fed by his word. Unless we're led by the Spirit, fed by his word. We're fooling ourselves if we think otherwise. Way back, beginning of the church, there was this group of Jewish young people who were meeting in a cave in the city of Antioch, Syria. They really didn't have a group name. Hadn't thought of Alpha yet. All they had in common was this transformational encounter that they'd had with Jesus Christ. And soon the number began to grow, and pretty soon there were over 100 people. And it was such an unusual and a novel affair that people began to take notice of them and began to ask, who are these people? And, and, and why, what makes them so different? You know, they remind us of someone. Oh, yeah, remember that Jewish rabbi down in Jerusalem? Uh, the one that, that, that went around healing people and, and, uh, and offering life to people and... And and loving people regardless of whether they were a leper or whether they were a ruler. Remember? Remember they called him the Christ. What does Christ mean? It means the anointed one. The anointed one. That's who these people are like. They're like Christ, the anointed one. Well, let's call them Christians. Bible says the, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So what does that mean? Well, a cr- Christian is just a diminutive form of Christ. This is literally what Christian means. It means little Christs. Little Christs or little anointed ones. You're a little anointed one. You're a little Christ, just a mini Christ. Why? Because because you're the Savior? No, 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 because Christ lives in you. And uh, so they noticed the behavior of these Christians or these disciples in Antioch, and, and it was so overwhelming that they said, they look like Christ, they look like Jesus, they smell like Jesus, they act like Jesus, they behave like Jesus. Let them, let's call them little Christs. Why that name? Because the aroma of Jesus Christ, the anointed Son of God, was all over them and was oozing out of them. It hung thick in the air when they were around. 
I'm almost done here, folks. Just give me a couple more minutes. Please listen carefully. If the love and the light and the life of Christ is in you, when you walk into the room of a sick person, because of the aroma of Christ, call it anointing if you want, the possibility of them recovering has just increased a million times. Oh, that's a pastor's job. No, 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 no. Little Christ. Little Christ all over the place. Little Christ. When you have a conversation with a non-believer and the aroma of Christ is on your life, I want to tell you, you're not going to convince them by argument, but they'll be so attracted to the aroma of Christ that wafts off your life that you'll be able to join them in a conversation that the Holy Spirit's already having with them. Share one more thought. I carry this uh, little bottle of oil around with me. We call it anointing oil. Nothing magical about it. It's just a tangible symbol of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that we're to anoint people when we pray for them. Traveled around the world because I give it to other people. Say, take this with you and, and when you go to Asia. And so it's been all over. This little guy has been all over the world, many more places than I've been. Um, because of COVID, I haven't been able to travel a whole lot. And so the bottle sat unopened on my dresser for quite a few months. And when finally I was able to hit the road again, I went and got my bottle of oil and I opened it up and I smelled it. And it was rancid. It reeked. It was repulsive. What's my point? Simply this. The aroma of Jesus Christ in our life needs to be kept fresh. We can't represent Christ today out of an experience we had 10 years ago. 10 months ago. 10 weeks ago. Much better 10 minutes ago. 10 minutes ago. Oh, we can and we should be ready to testify about those things that, that God has done in the past. We should be like Samuel, ready to build Ebenezer statues in places where we say, to this point God has helped me. But the fact of the matter is we can't live in that. We can't minister out of that. We can't be the aroma of Christ out of that. It needs to be fresh. If we're to be the aroma of Christ in this chaotic world, a 10-minute-old experience is much better. And so we need to come daily. We need to come quietly. We need to come humbly into his presence. And like the old hymn says, he'll walk with us. And he'll talk with us. And he'll tell us that we are his own. And the aroma will be fresh. And we'll leave his presence smelling like him. Please understand that if we're blessed by God and we choose to put a cap on that blessing, all of us are blessed by God, and we choose to put a cap on that blessing and we don't use it, we don't share it, we don't pour it out from our life, it'll go stale. And the very thing that was so appealing when it was fresh becomes a religious stench to other people. 
and it becomes a toxin to us. We were never meant to be reservoirs, folks. Never meant to be reservoirs. We were meant to be conduits. Conduits. Receive the presence of Christ and release the presence of Christ. So let me be bold this morning in asking uh, this question of all of us. What aroma is coming off my life? What fragrance are people left with after they encounter me? What do people think of Jesus after they've interacted with me in some way? I, it doesn't really matter what they think of me. What do they think of Jesus at home? What do they think of Jesus on the road? What do they think of Jesus on, on Facebook? What, what do they think of Jesus in church, at Home Depot? When uh, the price of lumber is two and a half times it was last year. At work. In my neighborhood. What do people think of Jesus after they've interacted with me? Is it wholesome and winsome and loving and enlightening and life-giving? Because that's what we're called to do. I pledged a long time ago not to preach a message that God wasn't filtering through my own heart. And so I'm the first one at the altar when I preach this message, folks. I, I'm not here to preach at you. I'm here to preach with you. I'm here to journey with you. I'm sitting in the front row listening to myself preach this morning. See, I want my life to exude the fragrance of Jesus. I want to ac accurately reflect who Jesus is. I, I want to clearly portray his, his, his message of grace to the world around me. I, I want to bring faith to confusion. So much confusion. I want to bring hope to despair. I want to bring life to a culture that's dying. I want to bring compassion to an ever-increasingly depersonalized world. I want to bring grace to the middle of condemnation. I want to bring forgiveness in the middle of judgment because that's the aroma of Christ. That's the aroma of Christ. Love and light and life. We will smell like what we are soaked in, like what we ingest, or like what we perpetually hang around. The old chorus years ago we used to sing this. It's just simply said, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask, to be like him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, all I ask is to be like him. Do you want to be like him? Do you want to be the aroma of Jesus? I think that, uh, you know, Paul's word at the communion table is very apropos for this morning. Uh, Let every man examine himself. Measure his conduct, measure his behavior, measure his speech, and say, is this what Jesus looks like? Is this what Jesus sounds like? Is this what Jesus behaves like? I know a few years ago there was these bracelets, WWJD. I know everybody had one, meant nothing, meant nothing. Probably a lot of people who had it on didn't even know what it stood for. Just a fad. But this is not a fad, folks. This is not a fad that I'm talking about this morning. This is the life of the believer in Christ. 
I know I'm preaching to some people online this morning, and, and uh, I don't take it for granted, even in a congregation this size this morning, that, that uh, you know Jesus as your Savior or have ever invited him to be your Savior and Lord. And I just want to say this to you this morning. If your life is messed up, if your life is mixed up, if your life feels empty, if you've pursued all the things this life has to offer and you still feel empty, I want to tell you that that you'll never find fulfillment and purpose for your life. You'll never find real peace for your soul outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Blaise Pascal, a philosopher from a couple of centuries ago, he said this, and I paraphrase what he said. He said, there's a God-shaped vacuum. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that cannot be filled by anything other than God himself. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that cannot be filled by anything other than God himself. Read last week, Miss uh, USA 2019, got all kinds of honors and was a lawyer, a very successful lawyer, had trophies of all kinds. She wrote shortly in an essay shortly before she jumped out of an apartment, a high-rise apartment building in New York City. She said, is this what a life is all about? Pursuing all this? Thing? I've made my goals. All the goals I set for myself, I made, and I'm still so empty. Is this all there is? I want to tell you today, those of you that are here and those of you that are online, no, that's not all there is. That's not all there is. You can know love and light and life when you walk in relationship with Jesus Christ, when you choose to turn your life over to him. He'll fill that vacuum. Oh, I know I'm preaching overtime today, and I'm sorry, probably Pastor Dwayne won't have me back, but, but I want to tell you one more thing. I, you know, years ago, Years ago, I, I, I attended a church called City Center, and we were meeting in, on Jasper Avenue in the old Paramount Theater. And I tell you, we had some interesting people that came there. I could tell you stories. But there was one day that we were doing a baptismal service, and there was this young Islamic lady, beautiful lady, and she was going to be baptized. And uh, she was standing beside Pastor Kevin Fricker. And Kevin always gave the, the candidate an opportunity to just say a few words of testimony. He says, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? And she said, um, well, I'm a Muslim. And I thought to myself, well, that's the first time I've heard that at a baptism service. And then she said, I, 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 I think I'm a Muslim. I, I was a Muslim. And she's talking to herself kind of as she's trying to put this into context. See, the disciples didn't know they were Christians until other people told them they were. Okay, so, so uh, um, she said, but, but, but I had this, this emptiness in my life. I had this emptiness in my life. Nothing was filling it. And then, and then Jackie, and she pointed to a lady down in the congregation. And Kevin said, that Jackie? Yeah, come on up here. And Jackie came up, and they stood shoulder to shoulder with their arms around each other, pre-COVID. And... Uh, she said, I, I was empty. And then, and then Jackie told me that if I would invite Jesus into my life, he would fill that empty spot. And she started to cry. And she said, and now the emptiness is gone. Isn't that great? 
And now the emptiness is gone. And I guarantee, folks, if you put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean life will get easy. It won't be a bed of roses. But I'll tell you one thing in confidence. The emptiness will be gone because he'll fill your life with his presence. He'll transform your life with his power. He'll place his Holy Spirit in you so you'll never be alone again. You can have that vacuum filled in your life today. The invitation is open. Whether you're here or whether you're online, the invitation's open. Jesus is just simply waiting for you to come, to ask. You just need to ask. He'll do the work. You need to ask. He'll do the work. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I've watched lives completely transformed when I pray a prayer like I'm going to pray right now. I've seen destinies changed. I've seen family lines changed by the power of God. And again, I'm not promising you that everything's going to be rosy and easy. That would be deceptive. In fact, living for Jesus can be challenging, but it's worth every challenge to have the privilege of knowing him and walking through life with him. If you're here this morning or online this morning and you're ready to do that, I just want you to follow me in this prayer. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I'm tired of trying to call the shots in my own life. I'm really not doing a great job of it. And this morning, I am ready to allow you to guide my life. I'm ready to ask you to forgive me of my waywardness and my sin. I'm ready this morning to follow you. Come into my life, Jesus. Come into my life, Jesus. I choose to turn away from my sin, and I choose to follow you. Would you give my life new purpose? Would you give my life new meaning? Would you give me new joy? Would you fill up the emptiness that's been there? Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. Thank you, Lord, for making me into a brand new person. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the Holy Spirit to live inside of me. Thank you for saving me. In your precious name I pray. Amen.